0: Welcome to the Beer Truth Podcast, I'm Tom, and we're back with another brewery from New England, just outside of Boston, and I mean just outside of Boston. Uh, this was a gloomy, cold, rainy day when I sat down with Liz and Jared Corrale at Bona Brewing in Everett, Massachusetts, but they set me up with a hoppy saison and things got a little brighter. Uh, not my go-to style, but I did enjoy that one. So Up describes themselves as a modern American farmhouse brewery, which can mean a lot of things. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit, as well as their passion for music. Uh, every time I look, there seems to be a band performing, or a bunch of bands, or multiple days with a bunch of bands, and it's not the type of music I'm into, but it's always good to see local businesses, local bands, local artists everyone coming together, having a good time around local beer. Uh, That's really all I got. Interview kind of takes care of the rest of this. So let's get into the interview with Liz and Jared, co-founders of Bone Up Brewing. Why don't we start with probably the easier stuff, Uh, where it started for you guys, where when you got into beer, and then when you decided that you wanted to work really hard for not very much money and open a brewery? Other people, are, are, people are getting paid for this?
1: <laughs> you guys are getting paid. Um, so my name is Liz Corrali. I'm here with my husband, Jared Corrali. That's me. And We're the owners and brewers here at Bonap Brewing Company in Everett, Massachusetts. We are a loosely belgian focused brewery Um, very small three and a half barrel system Um, everything is super small batch very handmade Um, most mostly sold out of our tap room here just north of boston Uh, we've been around for about six and a half years but we've been brewing together for about ten years now jared had been brewing for quite some time before that and I guess that's sort of where the story of bone up starts if you want to talk about your origin story I come into the picture a little later
2: um, sure I mean I got into beer because of waffles um, and then like right before I turned 21 my parents gave me a homebrewing kit for my birthday they actually gave me a homebrewing kit and a chair so I could practice my two favorite hobbies sitting and drinking um, and i pretty much just hit the ground running with that like i was by the time i finished college i was brewing often enough that the guy at the homebrew supply shop was like you're here so often i might as well just pay you so i started working there and then um
1: is that yeah. member shop still around
2: yeah uh should be my lhbs in uh, northern virginia um and yeah, I got an office job out of college. Didn't, didn't really do it for me, so I just started looking for brewery gigs. I think I applied to 27 job postings, something like that. Uh, got two interviews and one job offer. Uh, moved up here for that job offer. Um, Uh, Worked there for a couple of years and then uh, moved to a beer bar. The goal has always been to start a brewery with a tap room, so I figured I should work in at least both industries before I tried to do any of that myself. Uh, And the beer bars where Liz and I met, started dating at some point, and started brewing together pretty soon after that. And, yeah, the rest is history. I'll let you take it from there.
1: Um, So I was a graphic design major in college and... I got into craft beer for kind of two reasons. My dad had always been into craft beer. Like we didn't really have Budweiser, or Bud Light in the house growing up. He was a Sam Adams, Sierra Nevada guy. He really liked Belgian beer. Um, so that was what I defaulted to once I started drinking was stuff that was a little bit nicer. And then I got way more into beer styles. Just I was attracted to the cool labels and all of all of the different styles and all of the different flavors. And like Jared, I got a job in my field right outside of college but after a year or two didn't really do it for me so i decided to get a job at this beer bar um and that's where i started to learn a lot more about the world of beer uh, and then the world of brewing once we started dating Um, we worked at that bar together for i don't know a year or two that sounds right and uh (laughs) and Around the time Jared turned 30, he was just like, you know, I have this goal. I want to, I want to open a brewery, and I want it to have a tap room. I want it to be in the Boston area. I was like, okay, that sounds, that sounds like fun. If you need any help with, if you need any help with artwork or whatever you need help with, I'm here. Let's do it. Uh, and first step, we we're just like, okay, we need a logo, right? We need a logo and we need a name. So when people ask what it is, we can tell them. And before I even finished that sentence, he shoves this piece of scrap paper in my face. It's got a little drawing of a skeleton with a mustache on it. And it just says, brewery logo? With a question mark. I'm like, All right, you're prepared. He looks like a Horatio to me. And that is how uh, the logo for our brewery was born. It was just sort of instantaneous. We didn't even explore anything else. We were just like, that's the guy. That's the guy and his name's Horatio. Um, and then we wanted to build a little brand around him, we wanted the name to be a riff off of like Bone or Skeleton or something. Um, From there we started, you know, the name search process and the trademarking process. um, We ended up settling on Bone Up. Uh, Bone Up means to learn more about something, to brush up on a topic, and since we could both talk about beer for hours, we thought that that would be perfect. Um, From there we realized, okay, we need money start a brewery, uh, and we're not really making that working, working in the service industry, at least not enough to save up for what we want to do, so we returned to our office jobs. I went, um, I went to work for a Cambridge startup incubator as their in-house designer. And Jared went to work for a coupon company, coding their software, which he likes to say.
2: Yeah, uh, is, being uh, a database <laughs> programmer
0: for a coupon website is every bit as exciting as it sounds. I never thought about that, uh, like side of the coupon industry because I never think about the coupon industry. But
2: it's surprisingly cutthroat. <laughs> um, I, yeah, yeah, we were the number three coupon website worldwide. Wow. But I, uh, to be honest, have not thought about the coupon industry since then, so I couldn't really speak to that one way or the other. Are you a coupon clipper or did it just, was it just? It a was mostly thing? like cash back. If you like click through the referral, like you get cash back, like that was, the, okay. that was their big thing. But like, yeah, I'm not a coupon guy. It's just, I went through a recruiter and that was a job opening he found. But it was a good place to work.
1: Yeah. And like, Those day jobs were fine, but we were definitely just in there to put in our 40 hours, collect the paycheck, and then go to town working on the business plan and looking for spaces on nights and weekends. And that was about a three and a half year process for us. Um, We were living in South Boston at the time, and we knew we wanted to be close to the city um, or in the city. but. We quickly realized we couldn't afford anything in Boston proper and their permitting process is pretty stringent and there was a lot that we didn't know. Um, And we ended up settling on our space in Everett because they had this magical thing called cheap rent. (laughs) Um, We got a killer price um, per square foot on the warehouse that we are in currently. And the city of Everett also was very welcoming up front. They had opened two breweries within the last couple of years, um, the original Idle Hands location and the original Night Shift location, um, both of which were located on the property that the Encore Casino is now. So like the other side of the city, two very small breweries at the time, uh, but the city had seen the potential of that and they were really interested in bringing it more more of that industry. So we immediately felt welcome. We felt like we were with a city that wanted to work with us, which was huge because, again, there was a lot that we didn't know um, and there was a lot that we had to figure out. Um, so, yeah, sorry, this is turning into kind of a long-winded story. Um, no,
0: that's that's usually how it starts yeah. here.
1: Uh, a little bit about the building we're in. So I know you can't see it on the podcast, but we are one unit inside of a very large old warehouse. It's uh, a buildings about 130 years old. I believe it started as an industrial laundromat and you can see some of the vestiges of that. Um, There's some like, you know, girders and like piping um, made of iron up on the top of the ceiling. Um, And there's a lot of bones in the building that are still exposed. But when we signed the lease here, there was no water, no power. The whole place was totally gutted, but we were just like, it's got potential. as the ceiling is dripping in like five places and there's some weird dude running milk crates through a wood chipper in the corner. I shit you not, like, he was terrifying. <laughs> I think they just built walls around him. We found He's the milk somewhere. crates like years later. Um,
0: well, he can, uh, in a few more years, he can be your official Horatio right? Oh, yeah, the
1: actual skeleton. I hope I never find one in this building. Um, but it's, it's a good spot and it's treated us well. Um, we got to build the place out exactly how we wanted, or at least as much as we wanted within budget constraints. But we put in all the floors ourselves, we built the bar with uh, Jared's dad. Um, My parents came to help do a lot of the painting and um, some of the framework for other things. Um, We poured all the concrete, set up the brewery ourselves. Uh, It was a lot of work, and again, all this while we still had day jobs. But eventually, we opened the doors in late August 2016. We were just like, I don't know if 10 people or 1,000 people are going to show up to this. Thankfully, it was the latter. Um, We had a very busy first couple of years at the brewery. Um, We started with four flagships, a little bit of everything on the color spectrum. Two of those beers are still flagships today. Um, Our Extra Nica Table Beer, um, which is like a light body, Belgian style, just perfect everyday beer. And um, our Shut Up Kelly Porter, which I can talk about later. Everyone always wants to know about Kelly. Um, and we also opened with a, a fruited white ale, a key lime white ale, and uh, a West Coast IPA called Wasted Life.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and outside of that, for the first couple of years, we just brewed a ton of three barrel batches, everything from um, adjunct stouts to amber ales, a lot of saisons that first year. Um, we started barrel aging after a year or two once we got a little bit more space in the building. Um, we started with about a third of the space we currently have. We've just sort of been taking over units in the building, like a weird game of risk over yeah. the last I few years. I feel like years. you hear that
0: a lot with especially places in warehouses or warehouse yeah. areas. It's, as you grow, it it kind of grows with you.
1: Yeah, um, And we've always been more about like slow deliberate growth than just expanding for the sake of expanding um because this brewery is more or less an extension of ourselves and like we consider it to be a huge part of our identity and we don't want to bite off more than we can chew and we want to feel like we're still really personally involved in everything from running the tap room to being boots on the ground in production and i just feel like we couldn't do that or the joy would disappear from it if we ever became a really large operation. So we've just been kind of steadily growing and chugging along ever since Um, 2020 and 21 were super annoying and weird and full of existential crises, but we're still here. Um, I don't know how much more you want to add to that.
2: I mean, that summed it up pretty well.
0: (laughs) You weren't brief. You weren't supposed to be. Uh, so, Jared, you mentioned, and there's there's a note about it on the website, about Uh-oh. this kind of all started with waffles. Yeah. Can you explain waffles and beer? That seems pretty self-explanatory to me. Um,
2: uh, so when I graduated high school, me and a friend decided that we were going to, like, go to Europe and just kind of take the train around and go to as many countries as we could in the course of two weeks. I wanted to stop by Belgium because I wanted to eat waffles. We uh, went to Brussels because we didn't know any better, and it turns out that there's not, or at least at the time, I don't know if it's different now. There wasn't anything to do in Brussels other than eat waffles and drink. Um, it was like it was kind of a suitcase city, like not a lot of not a lot going on. Um, so we were just. Drinking at lunch because we had nothing else to do, and I got served a bottle of Westmall Triple. And light shone down from the heavens. Angels were singing the whole nine, and that just kind of stuck with me. That was that's the reason that I got into well beer in general and specifically Belgian beer. Was that before you started getting into home brewing? Uh, yes, I was 18 at the time. So okay, and I started home brewing right
0: before I turned 21. Okay, I did actually do it legally, give or take yeah well uh i don't think anyone that could get you in trouble is listening so yeah i mean i'm pretty sure the statute of limitations on that has passed anyway but (laughs) you guys liz you said do kind of a little bit of everything uh modern uh i saw somewhere modern american farmhouse brewery what does that translate to
1: So that is the most succinct definition we could come up with for what we do here. Um, I mentioned earlier we have a loose Belgian focus at the brewery in that um, we are really focused on the fermentation aspect of what we do here. Uh, We have, and Jared can speak to this a little bit better than I do because he manages our micro program. I just make things look nice. Um, But we have our own house yeast blend here. Her name is Carl. Uh, it's a blend of a couple different strains that we came up with when we were home brewers. Um, it's part really good solid workhorse yeast, that um, really good, really high attenuator, uh, but also very expressive, very fruity, very estuary, um, paired with a much softer uh, fruitier strain. Um, I don't know how much you want me to go no. into this. Uh, so Jared's origin story revolves around Belgian beer and West Mall Triple. So that really high-attenuating, expressive half of the yeast is Belgian. But the thing about Belgian yeast is that they tend to overwhelm most styles that they are used in. Like, have you ever had a Belgian IPA? Notice like they're a lot more like fruity and bubblegum melon-forward than your standard American IPA. We like that, but we realize not everyone does. So... What we wanted to do for yeast we would be using in all of our beers was temper that Belgian, like bring it back from a run to like more of a trot with a nice fruity little English, English yeast strain. Um, so that's sort of our signature flavor uh, is this bone up house blend. I gave you the hoppy saison because it's a li- very light bodied style that lets that yeast really come center stage alongside the hops. It's um, a pretty good example of what our beers taste like, what we do here. Um, And even though we're located in pretty much the exact opposite of a farm, we really enjoy uh, brewing with local ingredients. What we have on hand is sort of like cobbling together really delicious, unique recipes off of that, uh, which I feel invokes that farmhouse spirit. Um, So yeah, a lot of saisons, a lot of grisettes, a lot of mixed fermentation sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, we didn't want to straight up call ourselves a Belgian brewery because we're not Belgian, we're American, um, and yeah. we really like we really like hops too, and I know that's not really a focal point of classic Belgian brewing. Um, so yeah. And a lot of people are just kind brewing. of, like,
2: a lot of people get kind of nervous when they hear, like, Belgian beer because, I, I don't know, like, very, very expressive Belgian beers can be kind of polarizing for people, and... I feel like it's less the case now, but for a while there were a lot of American breweries trying to make Belgian beer and like maybe not doing it justice. Uh, so a lot of people thought they didn't like it because they were just having it done improperly. Um, like I said, that's not that's not the case anymore. But when we were starting up six seven years ago, that was much more the case. Like just kind of like regional breweries being like, this is a saison. It's like
0: it's no. You did use the Saison yeast. That's a, as far as you went. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like just going with Belgian style, everything, I mean, could be hard to sell, <laughs> honestly. As a, I mean, there's obviously examples of breweries that do so, but uh, opening a brewery now, or even in the last few years, selling yourself as that might not be... The easiest way to keep the doors open, and it, it kind
2: of it kind of felt like pigeon uh, pigeonholing ourselves, just because we're like like Liz said, we're not really sticking to the classic Belgian styles. We're just kind of loosely in that direction. So like, our IPA is an American IPA that just happens to use a Belgian yeast, and it make made more sense to us to just call it an IPA rather than tacking
0: the word Belgian onto it, because that kind of doesn't mean anything. Yeah, and I have a very specific picture in my head when I hear Belgian IPA and it's not American IPA. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That would be, that could definitely bring some confusion and that's not how you sell beer. Yeah, exactly. um, So three and a half barrel system. uh, I mentioned working hard for not a lot of money. I didn't know you were also on such a small system
2: and it's it's a very manual system there's no hard piping no nothing so every brew day we're just basically recreating half of the components of our brew house out of pumps and hoses that we're dragging around um so yeah it's
0: labor of love heavy on the labor how much beer are you guys making on three and a half barrels
2: uh about 400 barrels a year
0: okay so
2: a lot of brewing a lot of brewing um yeah, on average, we're brewing about three times a week. Um, we've got the capacity to brew up to four times a week. So we have four single size fermenters and two double size fermenters. So, um, like the busier times of year, like summer, we're brewing two single batches and a double
0: batch four days in a row, Monday through Thursday, every week. Okay, I was going to ask if you have bigger fermenters that you can have one rough day and then maybe a day off. Ah. Uh,
1: we did do the one rough day once.
2: Um, yeah. <laughs> so, and there, there's a lot about our brewing setup that kind of makes it hard to streamline doing double batches in one day. And, yeah, we tried brewing a double batch in one day. It was, and Liz and I took the reins on that because we're not going to ask our staff to do that, um, especially on the uh, R&D side. Um, we, I think we started at 10 or 11 in the morning and we walked home at six in the morning. Um, so we didn't do that again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like more, I feel like morning rush hour is like about to start. So it might've actually been after six, the sun was up. Um, so yeah, we probably could have shaved a few hours off of that, but we don't really need to engineer 16 hour
0: days into our work week kind of no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have plans to grow, get a bigger system, get a less manual system, anything like that in the works? Uh, or it just would, it just would dreams? Be nice. Yeah,
1: it would be nice, but we we're focusing on growth of the tap room first because um, right now we're making enough beer to fuel the tap room um, and the events that we do, but. We are focusing a lot more on events and live music right now, so that will probably be the focus of this year, and hopefully the returns from that can finance a new brew house. Um, I will say the benefit of having a three and a half barrel system is it allows us to do a lot of cool stuff since the batches are so small, there's low risk. And since pretty much everything is sold through the tap room, we get to see people's reactions in real time. Brewing about 100 or so gallons of beer at a time lets us collaborate with local dog rescues, um, historical societies, lets us make custom beers for weddings. Um, we do a lot of stuff with local bands, mostly heavy stuff. Um, just because we're like, it's 30 cases of beer. like We can sell that no problem and then move on to the next thing. Um, so it's fun. Um, it would be nice to get a lot more beer for the same amount of work, but we'll get there at some point. Yeah.
0: Um, you mentioned music. That seems to be a big influence for you guys. No, mm-hmm. oh, I. Sorry, I don't mean to backtrack,
2: but I managed to look up the number. I was looking up. We made seventy-seven different beers last year. Okay. Speaking of Blizzard's flexibility thing,
1: seventy-seven.
2: Seventy-seven. Wow. Not, not counting barrel blends and stuff like
1: that. We're so cool. <laughs> that's awesome, and that's. New unique recipes. No, that's, include, or that's the that's total including number repeats. of recipes that we made. Okay, so yeah. that's including repeats and flagships, but that's under twelve of that seventy-seven. Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
0: Anyway, sorry I interrupted <laughs> you. No, that's it's. Uh, I think it speaks to, like you said, the flexibility that Liz you mentioned about being able to. I mean, even if something doesn't sell well, it's still going to.
1: There's still not that You're much You're still going to get through it. And thankfully there's more hits than duds here. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, music is a huge influence on us. Our first date was actually at a at a concert. We went to see a band Red Fang. They're a stoner rock band.
0: Yeah, they've done some yeah. beer collaborations. Yeah,
1: we'll get them someday. Um,
2: We've done collaborations with two of the other bands that were at that show. Yeah. Um, Black Tusk and Indian Handcrafts
1: so we just need Red Fang to complete the trifecta. <laughs> anyway, so the whole music and beer thing started at the brewery around our first anniversary in summer 2017. We booked a surf rock band we like, they're local, they're called the Weisternauts uh, to, sorry, to come and play the anniversary. And Jared had the fabulous idea of creating a beer made to pair with their set. We, I think it was a bitter.
2: Yeah, I think was it was a British English bitter or English pale ale or yeah. something like that. Uh,
1: but we called it fermentotainment, and it was a hit. And then the next year, 2018, we had four bands play the anniversary, so we brewed them four different beers, each one meant to pair with their style of music. We did, I think, a wit beer for the jazz band. We did a dry stout for the punk band. We had the Weisternauts back, and we made them something else. I don't remember what. I and think then it was a different pale ale. Yeah. And then I think there was an IPA of some sort for the, um, like the psych rock band. Uh, but anyway, so this started to grow at our anniversary every year. I think the third anniversary, had seven beers and seven bands. That was a little out of control, but we made it happen. And sometime between the second and the third anniversary was when bands started reaching out to us or other bands would come into the tap room and we'd start talking to them about the project. And we started brewing collab beers with bands just outside of the anniversary. And that really... And then that exploded in early 2021 when everyone was just like, I'm so tired of being inside. Bands were like, oh, we haven't been able to record. We haven't been able to play shows. I want to do something. So we started doing a lot of like remote collabs with bands. And anyway, I think the number of band beers we did for anniversary in 2022 was like 17 or something like that we almost broke our souls we (laughs) brewed all summer for this one party uh but again we made it happen and now we just we release band beers once or twice a month and it's just like a rolling thing that we do sometimes we reach out to bands that we like um sometimes bands reach out to us we've gotten cds and tapes just like dropped off at the bar just like i heard you do this here's like here's my business card yeah uh and in return, we really are just like, yeah, we're doing this because we're brewing beer anyway. It's just more fun to have a story attached to it. And if it helps you promote your new record, A+, all we want in return, just come play a show at the brewery. And it's our little way of building a music program, supporting the local scene, because there's not a lot of small, mid-sized music venues here anymore. So the bands don't really have a lot of places to play. Um, so it's just sort of this natural thing. Uh, and it works really well here. And it's a fun way to get to know some of our favorite bands and meet some new bands along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much I missed. No, that that sums it up. Yeah. You've heard of Collabs before.
0: Yeah. Do you guys play music to the beer while you're brewing or fermenting?
1: Like do we listen to the band while we're brewing? No, do you
0: like we like put headphones on the tanks so oh
1: no but i have heard that people do that yeah like something I think about that's a the, big like, the thing in base affecting fermentation
0: yeah i think there's that's a tradition in some nordic country that like they just play like really intense music and it's supposed to i don't know it's supposed to help the beer um, i know
1: the uh the head brewer at cambridge brewing has done that before he was playing like jazz or something to some of his Mixed Firm Barrels. I remember reading about that a few years ago.
0: That sounds like a Cambridge <laughs> Brewing yes. kind of thing.
1: Um, but we have not tried it. We, we do have our soundtracks that we listen to. Um,
2: and if we're doing yeah. a band collab, we make a point of listening to that band like on our brewery speaker throughout the entire production process, especially yeah. Canning Day.
1: We, always, we do try and get the band members to come out and help us can too. It's a good photo op. They have fun yeah we Plus get free labor free labor yeah
0: <laughs> um yeah free labor for uh canning and packaging days
1: always need an extra set of hands on the can yeah
0: line. That, that might be a, a one time <laughs> they don't want to come back for the, the second time you ask though
1: people always want to come back they're like really? i had so much fun i was like really please do more of my chores yeah. like
2: <laughs> i mean they work on the canning line for three hours and then we shotgun beers so like
0: that is fun
1: that is fun
0: yeah Earlier, uh, when we were, you were talking about ingredients, um, and your label uh, on a shirt made from ingredients, I like that. Uh, oh, we stand by that. that. Yeah, it's succinct. I don't think you can ever. I don't think you can ever be wrong about that. <laughs> so, uh, but is yeast is that the big one for you guys? I mean, that's
2: that's kind of the most characteristic one for us. Um, like, we obviously pay attention to all of them. Like, water, the water, we kind of don't do a lot to. We kind of just let, we filter it. But other than that, we're just letting it be what it is.
1: We have fabulous um, brewing water in we Boston. We do have
2: fabulous brewing water. Um, There's nothing
1: in it. It's great.
2: Yeah, and for, like, grains and hops, we try and source as much locally as we can. Like, I'd say a third to half of our hops come from uh, Far Mountain, Massachusetts. Um, is that four-star? Yep. Okay. Yeah, they're great. Um, and it's well, stretching the definition of local, but a pretty sizable amount of our hops also come from Michigan, which okay. is, if nothing else, closer than the West Coast. Yeah. Um, but we don't really we don't really use any imports. So yeah, and two thirds of our stuff comes from uh, you know within a five hour or eight hour drive of here. Um, and for grains, we use a fair amount of stuff from new england um that's a little bit tougher to source exactly what we need across the board but um our main supplier is in delaware which again closer than uh north dakota or nebraska or wherever the hell the big farms are but yeah um yeah, yeah we're, we're getting canada yeah we're, we're getting weather. everything we can at least as close as we can um we still buy some stuff from the commodity guys just because like there's some stuff that Breeze makes that nobody else does, so we have to buy it. But um, yeah, we're getting it as close as we can, anyway.
1: And yeah. the whole the whole made from ingredients thing sort of started as a joke on our business cards. I put it in as like a little like grayed out slogan at the bottom. It's the only thing people fixated on, so we decided to incorporate it into the branding at large. But going back to us being a loosely belgian focused brewery inspired by that farmhouse tradition you know belgians have a more cagey way of describing their beers where they don't necessarily list all of the ingredients or pigeonhole their beers into a style you ask a belgian brewer like hey what is this they're like it's brown and then they walk away i think that's great and i think it sort of forces the drinker to contemplate the beer as a whole instead of really zeroing in on like what specific hop variety that is, or like yeah. what the adjuncts are adding individually. It's just like, you just enjoy the beverage in the glass, figure out how all of these smaller things create a whole. Uh, and I, I like that philosophy and made from ingredients is sort of a tongue in cheek way of describing that. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, there's a, a certain, uh, I guess like chasing the hype or following the trends of like well this beer has xyz new hop that everyone wants or has
2: yeah and like there's definitely something to be said for like you know there's there's so much stuff out there that it's good to be able to find stuff that you like and be like all right well i know that i like amarillo as a hop so if i find beers that list that on the label i'm more likely to like that but
1: it's a good way to cut through the noise yeah
2: um but since we're taproom focused, that's we're just kind of like, well, you have twelve options here. Like, we have two IPAs. Just try a taste of both of them, and don't don't worry about whether or not that has the hop that you know in it. Um, our old flagship IPA had like eight different hops in it.
1: I think we could still. I don't think I could list them all on my own. I need you to help me fill in the blanks. Yeah, I definitely Likewise, it up.
2: Um, and part of that was just because that was the flavor profile that we liked, and part of that was because. If you have that many different varieties it's actually a lot easier to keep it consistent like because there are definitely i mean it's an agricultural product it changes year to year um but if you know the columbus that we're using changes crop year and at a different time than one of the other hops that we're using then the beer won't be as noticeable year to year whereas if it's a single hop and we switch from 21 crop year to 22 crop year it might actually be a completely different beer batch to batch, which we're really trying to avoid here. Yeah. yeah. And we
1: do have our ways of, like, cutting in new ingredients slowly over the course of several batches, which I think is pretty common for breweries to do.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that's a lot more common than consumers think of is it does change over time. And, you know, it's like, you know, Russian River talks about Pliny the Younger and their, how it changes every year. And they're very open about that and it's, you know, things change it, yeah. if you want to, you know, the beer is not necessarily exactly the same, but if you're looking for the same beers last year, then I don't know, Go get there's a Budweiser. some philosophical, <laughs> yeah, there's some philosophical thing there.
2: That's also kind of why we try to um, talk about ourselves as a farmhouse breweries because we're kind of just embracing the ingredients being what they are rather than trying to make sure that we're getting something that is machine perfect to uh, the exact standard every time. Like, I mean, in general, we we do like taste tests, make sure that batch to batch, everything is pretty consistent. But um, yeah, like with hops, especially if the crop year changes wildly, then there's nothing we can do about it. It'll just, we'll just make sure that that change happens
0: slowly. Yeah, and I, before I went to some philosophical thing, the, the point I was making was the consumer, you know, if you have your you know, flagship IPA and uh, you need to tweak over a few batches, most people aren't going to notice that unless you switch a lot yeah. at once. Then you know, maybe people will notice something is different, but, uh, but that is something that you have to do to keep some consistency and is it might not be the same crop of whichever hop, so maybe you use less of that or more of so less existing something. that's yeah. happened.
1: Or maybe the grain crop fails.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that happens too. Yeah. That sounds like uh, something you've It's an industry dealt with. wide problem. Yeah. Yeah. The uh yeah,
2: the but this is a
1: fun podcast. We're talking yeah, about... Yeah, we don't things. need to... We don't need to get into that. There, there
2: were some agricultural problems in the past couple of years, um, like, for the industry at large, not, like, relating to us specifically. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, getting back to, like, changing things, like, that's... Like I said, we do... Every time we put out a new batch of something that's recurring, we will taste it against the previous batch. And, like, the question we always ask is, if I was served batch A and batch B back-to-back, would I notice that these are two different things? Um I mean, thankfully, the answer is almost never or actually never yes. Like, we're, we're just like, yeah, these are the same thing. That, that's good. That's what yeah. we're going for. Or
1: just be like, okay, this one, you know, this one definitely tastes like it was tapped two days ago versus the one that's been on tap for three or four weeks. Like but minor also, differences, but that's what we get paid to think about. Yeah, the average and person like, isn't going to think you're about You're going to notice that a
0: lot more <laughs> if you drink that beer five times a week. Yes. Yeah. The, the label that made from ingredients, uh, I saw you have a wall of adequacy. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like Dwight Schrute is helping with the, the marketing. and
1: Maybe maybe he should. The um, <laughs> wall of adequacy. I don't remember which one of us came up with that name, but the wall of adequacy for people who have not been to the taproom before is the name of our uh, brewery coloring contest. So... The band that we mentioned earlier, Red Fang, um, released a new album at the end of 2016, the year we opened. And as part of that album release, it came with a little coloring page. So we thought it would be fun to like print out some of the pages in the tap room and just have people who were hanging out color them. And anyone who finished their page, we just hung it up on the wall. We picked a winner at the end of the month around Christmas time. We're just like, wow, that actually got a lot of people to stay and hang out for an extra couple beers and bring their friends and it was a fun thing drink and draw and we thought it would be neat to continue it but we didn't feel right about using someone else's artwork Um, so I do all the art for the brewery like the merch and the cans and everything so I started drawing our logo Horatio just doing a bunch of silly stuff like riding on an octopus or like sitting in a pool floaty in outer space just dumb stuff and I started coming up with a different coloring page every month printing out a bunch of copies and yeah the wall of adequacy is just it's art by drunk people it's it's however you want to interpret that coloring page but if you finish it you put your instagram handle or your email address on the back we'll hang it on the wall pick a winner give them a gift card once a month and then the winner stays on the wall if you go around into the tap room you'll see like dozens of these going back all the way to 2017 and I've since taken that art and turned it into coloring books, which were a huge hit in early 2020. I think we <laughs> printed them three or four times, and we're just about to print volume three of the coloring book. So it's a thing completely unrelated to beer that we think is just fun and is part of the taproom at this point. Because you know, a, a brewery taproom in a brewery space is kind of like that third environment, right? It's not home, it's not work, it's just a place to go and whittle away some time. And if you have an activity, if you have something to do with your hands while you're there, other than just sit and drink, or stare at your phone, I yeah. think that's even better.
0: Yeah, adult coloring books are a thing.
1: They are a thing. Yeah, I have noticed that if I make the drawing too complicated, we don't get as many entries. So I try and not. I, I try and not make the artwork too complex because you want to be able to finish it in like half hour or so, half hour an hour.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I would. Saw that I. I think you guys have the office trivia tonight. tonight. Oh yeah, tonight. that is tonight. It is tonight. Yeah, I saw the the trivia over there on the. Oh yeah. On the shelf. Is that like, why you
1: brought up Dwight Schrute?
0: Well, in the the uh, made from ingredients and wall of adequacy, I and I had those the. Those are two
1: very blunt things. <laughs> I just
0: flashed to the the sign when it's Kelly's birthday. The it is your birthday. I'm like, <laughs> All right. I don't know if it's. Related, but no. that's the first thing I thought of.
1: Happy coincidence. <laughs>
2: I haven't even watched The Office. I probably shouldn't admit that I out loud. I, yeah, I don't I'll, think I finished I'll, the I'll show. I'll
1: cut that out. You we know, yeah, don't <laughs> want people to hate it you. It had its moments. And yeah, I get why it's a cult, cult hit, for sure. So The trivia should be fun tonight.
0: Uh, so you mentioned, um, or you've talked several times about the artwork. Um, I feel like it's very distinctive for, you know... Bone Up and the, the skeleton and Horatio, uh, I think it's unique and and uh, kind of eye catching uh, in a way. It's just different than you know the the plain label that has a name and it's just got a like a different engagement to it. Uh, has that's all spun from Jared? Your uh, your skeleton. I really
2: can't take any credit for that. I mean, like I I did come up with a rough idea for the logo, but all of the implementation is all Liz. Um, yeah, the the drawing that I originally did on a bar napkin is uh, not pretty.
0: It's cute.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it was just trying to get the the concept down. It yeah. was not I was not
0: going for uh, perfection. <laughs> so that's that's just evolved into and with uh-huh. your graphic design background that's
1: pretty much um we started with fairly civil branding off the bat we went in with a mentality of wanting to grow into the brand so we didn't want to we didn't want to come up with something that felt really forced um off the bat so we started just like a two color scheme just the logo and just the word mark and that's it that's like all we printed on the t-shirts and then a few years in especially after that coloring contest started to um take off the ground i incorporated a lot more of my natural like i don't know more cartoony psychedelic drawing style and mostly cuz there's no one here to tell me not to do it <laughs> that's just how it evolved um and when we expanded the tap room into 2018, my big summer project was this mural here, where we started to get into more of like the jewel tones and like the really bright, saturated colors that you see on the labels. Um, and every year, the color scheme and the design has shifted a little bit. You know, it's it's evolving as the beers in the brewery are. Uh, last year was a lot of like blues and purples and space-themed stuff. I think it was my subconscious. Like I'm so tired of the pandemic. Like I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Let's go to space. Uh, and this year, it's turning. It's already turning into more of like, um, like a heavier, um, like a heavier drawing style. I think we started working with a lot more metal bands last year, who wanted who wanted that aesthetic. So it's shifting more into that. But we ha- we st- have continued to not really categorize ourselves or pigeonhole ourselves into any one specific thing but it's just it's beer made by hand art made by hand sold by hand
0: Yeah, and you mentioned the when it came to the beer styles and not pigeonholing yourself into a Belgian brewery or Belgian style or labeling things in a very specific way because you do different things a variety of things and so that, that's just what it made me think of when you said not, you know, kind of growing into it, as you said, and not just like locking yourself into a style and a brand before you, you know, as that can change as, uh, as you've shown that it changes as you go. But yeah, that's it all. I feel like there's kind of like this underlying theme that you guys have that is like variety but not uh not locking into one specific thing but just kind of being able to do what you guys want. Which is probably a lot easier when you're three and a half barrels and can have that freedom to experiment. It's a lot easier to pivot when you're small. We'll
1: we'll keep doing it as long as people keep showing up to buy the beer. So
0: Yeah. And uh, being able to experiment, do you guys have are you guys distributing? Do you have distributors to keep happy? Or you can are you guys self-distributed? We are self-distributed. I was actually doing
2: deliveries before this.
1: Did you do that delivery? I did do that delivery. Sweet.
2: Um yeah, we uh, yeah, so we're self distributed. It's it's primarily me um, in my Mazda three. Um, Perfect and, beer delivery vehicle. Oh yeah, it's great. Um, well, I mean, it's easier to get through like Cambridge and Boston than a truck is, um, and yeah. So we have uh, how many accounts do we have at this point? Now we we sell to some like. Uh, liquor stores um and bars were in i don't know a few dozen
1: yeah more than that. I don't know. we focus a lot more on the independent like owner operated bars and restaurants than the bigger restaurant groups again like we're self-distributed um and we're small and weird and expensive so a lot of the big groups just want to have their 12 set taps and that's cool and it's fine with us but we partner with a lot of other quirkier, smaller restaurants and bars in the area. Um, you can find a complete list by Boston Neighborhood on our website, but I would say we have about 15, 20 on-premise accounts that we deliver to regularly and somewhere in like the 60 to 70, n- number of 60 to 70 retail accounts that we deliver cans or bottles to. Um, and then we'll do the occasional in-store tasting or beer festival, but we mostly keep it close to home um, and sell things out of the tap room. But yeah, greater Boston area, pretty much any like high-end bottle shop in the 95 Bell, you can find our stuff.
0: Okay. But most of it, is it mostly here? Mostly here. Okay.
1: Yep. We do have our own canning line uh, and our own bottling line. We actually have two bottling lines, one for clean beer, one for funky beer. Okay. Because that's important. Uh, which I think is a little bit Abnormal for a brewery of our size, especially the canning line. But that was that was a COVID necessity. We were doing mobile canning before, and it just fucked with our schedules. Sorry, can I swear on this? Yeah. Okay. Very much. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, it just it, it fucked with our schedule so much um, dealing with the mobile canning. We just coughed up the coughed up the dough for our own line. And yeah. it's great. We can can whenever we want. Yeah. It's very cute. It's on wheels. It's like the size of this table, but puts out a case a minute, which is nice. That's not the question you're asking though, so (laughs) sorry.
0: But that is, I feel like unique. First of all, having canning and bottling both. That's, I mean, not many craft breweries, especially this size, probably bottle very much.
1: We do 500 mil bottles of our barrel aged and funky beers. And we started bottling long before we were canning, but I really like that package format for a higher-end product. There's just something that feels like sacrilege about popping a 16-ounce can of a barrel-aged imperial stout that took a year to make. I don't know. There's something about it. Yeah, it does feel different if that's what you do. But just like no, I want the bottle. I want the ritual of taking the cap off and pouring it. I want the glass to touch glass. and then when we started packaging funky beer, we were like, there's no way that's going through the same bottling line. There's no way that could ever go through a canning line. You do not want an infection. So anyway, that's why we have bottles.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so barrel stuff, barrel-aged stuff, uh, I don't know how far back this goes, but how much room do you guys have for barrel-aging, and not to mention clean and not clean? Um. So we, I mean, we,
2: when we started barrel aging, we had the first thing, uh, so what we started with was three five-gallon barrels that we got from Shorepath, the distillery around the corner from us. Um, and that was just like a three-by-six area on top of our pallet jack, pallet rack, not jack. <laughs> um, had to move it every
0: time you can.
2: Um, no, like that, that space was kept clear. It was interesting trying to get the full barrels down because um, we don't have a forklift or anything. Not that you could forklift a five-gallon barrel, but... Um,
1: this is the smallest forklift ever.
2: Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, that, that's a whole other story about how that went. But um, we, when we expanded further into the building in 2018, 2019, that opened up a little bit more space, and we have a room that's um, well, it's currently now split between empty can storage, uh, barrel aging, and our lab um, so we just kind of added a little, uh, just started building, actually building the barrel program in there. Um, we were able to fit things that were bigger because we didn't need to be able to lift them over our heads. Um, and I want to say we've got, so standard barrel size for most barrel, um, for most barrel aging is like 50, I want to say 53 gallons, 55, some, somewhere in the fifties. Um, big. yeah. And we tend to stick to barrels that are like 25, 30 gallons, um, just because, again, we don't have a forklift. We have a pallet jack, but it's if you have four barrels on a rack, it's still hard to move them that way. Um, I think we have 10 or so full barrels in the barrel room right now.
1: Yeah, anywhere from 10 to 15 at a time for both programs.
2: Yeah, and then in general, um, like... We'll, we'll get a new spirit barrel and we'll use it twice and that'll kind of strip all the spirit character out of the barrel and the more you use a barrel the more likely it is that you'll get some kind of uh, yeast, wild yeast or bacteria in there anyway so that just goes into our wild fermentation hallway um, and we've got a bunch of those because I mean uh, normal barrel aging takes six months on average wild fermentation stuff the way we do it takes six months minimum um, so I don't even want to know how many we have over there, but in general, like we don't throw out barrels until there like ends up being something wrong with it. Like if it leaks in a weird way or something like that, then we'll just turn it into furniture. But, um, a lot, most of the barrels that we have gone through in our normal clean barrel aging program have ended up on the, in the
0: funk hallway, as we call it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That is a good name. Funk hallway. funk hallway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We can, uh, once we're done with this, we can see if we can do a little lap around the back. Um, but the the long and short of it that was the long of it short of it is we've got room to keep everything separate we've got a whole separate set of parts and equipment for the brett stuff a lot of it is repurposed homebrew equipment because that stuff is so small scale doesn't really matter but we've never had any cross-contamination issues which is great
0: yeah well being this small uh you said you have you guys have a lab yes surprising to me i would have never guessed a three and a half barrel brewery to have a lab yeah i mean it's i mean
2: depending upon who's what standards you're using it's it's fairly like rudimentary but um it was a goal from the start to have our lab be outsized for the size of brewery that we are um so we do like standard qhx we do um gravity and ph on every beer every day uh, we do some microbiome plating to make sure that nothing that we don't want in the beer is in the beer, um, uh, forced diastol tests and we harvest and repitch our yeast. And so basically every time I harvest, I'm just sitting there hunched over a microscope for a few hours, just doing cell counts and viability and stuff like that. Um, there's probably other things that I'm missing. We have an autoclave, which is, that's uncommon, but a lot of the time there's, I'm kind of, uh, particular thank you you. um especially about like you know going between the wild farm and the clean stuff and sometimes there will be equipment that needs to go between the two but if you autoclave it that kills everything so um it's just kind of a nice to have and that way for lab equipment we don't need to go buy disposable sterile stuff all the time because we can just sterilize the stuff in-house
0: yeah so it's not just you with a microscope or a, a magnifying glass back there um,
1: that's how it started. Yeah, some, sometimes it feels
0: like that, but <laughs> yeah,
2: our, our cell counting apparatus doesn't look like much, but it actually works surprisingly well. Like, part of it is definitely made out of broken paint stirrers from Home Depot, but um, that's that's I have a like an attachment that allows me to just attach my phone to the microscope, um, but it's made for telescopes which have bigger eyepieces than my microscope. It turns out so. Yeah. I adapted it with pieces broken pieces of wood and I was like, oh, I'll find a better solution for that later and that was four years ago.
1: <laughs> but when you manage you know, a proprietary yeast blend after a few generations, you know, one of the strains might start to overtake the other, it'll mutate, the yeast health might not be as ideal. So it's important to have a lab just to make sure everything's in ship shape.
0: Yeah. I was gonna ask, having your house blend, does that have you had to like rebuild that at any point or, um, we re up from a
2: lab. Um, I wouldn't say often, but like fairly often, I guess. So, I mean, part of it depends upon how often we're brewing and stuff like that. Cause we don't have the ability to propagate up from small pitches into larger ones. So every six to eight generations or so we'll, um, we'll just re up or start back again from a lab pitch. Um, so, but you know, that's uh, twelve to sixteen weeks in
0: between orders. So we order we order a few times a year. Okay. Does all of that, like, uh, kind of making it work, lab equipment, you know, not propagating but repitching, harvesting and repitching, does that all come from you guys homebrew background? Um. You know, a lot
2: of the harvesting and repitching, we kind of just learned on the fly here. Like, it was something that we tried to do some of in home brewing, but um, there's not really... I mean, we're brewing in plastic buckets. There's not really a way to harvest from that. Yeah. And I wasn't going to buy... Well, at that point, we were planning on starting a brewery, so I wasn't going to invest the resources in really fancy homebrew equipment. Like, I was just like, oh, I'll do what I can in home brewing, And then after that, um, yeah, there's a book called Yeast written by... Uh, the guy from White Labs and I think one other guy that I can't remember. Um, and that's that's been super helpful. That's basically my textbook for... Was my textbook for learning how to do the stuff that we currently do on a regular basis. Okay. But part of it is just making it work. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, like I Like I always say, I'm self-taught, which means that I'm probably doing it wrong.
0: But it works well enough for us, at least so far. Yeah. And like you said, no cross-contamination so yeah fingers crossed yeah i uh i'll see myself out when uh you guys email me that i jinxed it but um well i'm out of questions uh thanks for taking the time i know you guys yeah. have uh, things to do so uh yeah yeah thanks for having us on um do you guys want to Mention website, social media, that stuff? Sure. Where people can actually come here and buy beer?
1: Yeah. Um, so the tap room's open seven days a week. Uh, we're located at 38 Norman Street in Everett. Um, for Boston folks, we're right off the Orange Line. Um, and you can find us online. Our website is um, boneup.beer. And our social media handles are all at Bone Up Brewing. Um, so we update that stuff pretty regularly at least once a day so that's where you find the most up-to-date information and jared and i write a weekly blog that's on our website um it's mostly just a sassy roundup of the events that are happening in the brewery but there's also like some day-to-day minutiae and like highlights from production but If you ever want to do a really deep dive into the brewery, we've been writing that blog for over eight years at this point, every every single Wednesday. So you can really just see the whole origin story and all of you can just watch our minds deteriorate over the last several years. Um, But I think I think that's it. So come drink our beer.
0: Cool. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the beer truth podcast. And thanks to Liz and Jared for sitting down with me a while back to record the interview. I always love sitting down for a conversation with the people who make the beer, see what got them into it, see how they use beer for good, not for evil. If you made it this far, dear listener, you know what comes next. I ask you to follow and subscribe to the show, wherever you are listening, uh, give the show a rating on your favorite podcast app, Or every podcast app, that'd be good too And let somebody know how much you love the Beer Truth Podcast Because obviously that's why you're here It all helps grow the show That helps me get the next interesting interview Uh, If you have an idea for a brewery Or some kind of brewery adjacent business You want to see on the show, let me know Uh, Let them know Do all the things Other than that, I'm out of things to say So, thanks again for listening, and see you for the next round. Hello. Hello. What the fucking fuck?